Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Jared Dicker, aka Darkstar. Some of you might know him. He's a partner at TCG, which is an investment firm focused on consumer businesses. And Jared focuses on investments in Web3, blockchain, and other technologies that connect fans with creators. I'm really excited to have Jared here for episode 100. I cannot believe it's been 100 episodes, but this is a big finale, and I cannot think of a better guest to have on for episode 100 than Jared Dicker. Welcome, Jared. Thank you so much for being here. So happy to be here. I didn't realize that it was the finale until you tweeted yesterday. So like, I feel that pressure, but I like it. So I'm just thrilled to be the the grand finale of an awesome season. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no pressure at all. But I'm really glad we were able to squeeze you. And I know we've been trying to book this for a while, a couple of months or so, maybe. And it all worked out in the end. So really excited to have you here. Before we dive into TCG and all the stuff that you're working on, I'd love to know a little bit more about your background and how you got into crypto in the first place. I've been in and out of media and tech and I guess crypto for about a decade, was early at the Huffington Post through the acquisition and was on the founding team of a technology company called Rebel Mouse. So always really focused on creator tools and distribution and ways in which media reaches you know, readers or consumers, however, which platform they wish to consume content on. In those days, I mean, crypto was really early. So, you know, having an engineering background and managing engineers, crypto is definitely a topic of conversation, especially for those that were getting into Bitcoin and mining and doing interesting things. I'd say like my biggest exposure where, you know, I really, for lack of a better term, got pilled was back in 2017, 2018, when I became the founding CEO of Poet, which was a protocol that really aimed to put all digital content on chain. Timing is everything, super early. But what was amazing is back then, nobody really wanted to hear about it. Like It was very difficult for a lot of companies that were focusing on tech and software outside of finance to like really make a splash, like many did. And a lot of the ones that carried through are the ones that we're talking about today, which is fantastic. But back then, it was really hard to divorce any conversation of your product from Bitcoin prices or Ethereum prices or other sorts of token prices. And I like to say now if Poet came out, probably be like a billion dollar valuation. (laughs) But there's a lot of amazing companies that are kind of leaning in on some of those ideals that we were really looking to do back then, one of which is Mirror, which I'm a massive, massive fan of. But I guess the reason why I why I went to Poet, which could be interesting, and why I got into this space was working in media has been an amazing education, especially over the past 10 years, because a lot of it has shifted. And the kind of media evolution, depending on who you talk to, right, like there was like massive ownership of these media companies, you know, decades ago, but especially through the 80s and 90s, where they own distribution, they own their audience, right? They own the price and value of 
the content and work that they were creating. And that really allowed, you know, media companies to really be stable and in fact, you know, be strong, striving companies. And when the internet came along, there was just, you know, kind of massive disintermediation of those roles and responsibilities. And, you know, it started with how people went to discover content to how media companies monetized, which ended up being taken over by Google and Facebook, and then where people really started to spend their time. So media over the past decade has been a pretty agile business where business models were effectively being created around them. And you had to really think about how you could best optimize or take advantage of the ones the ones that were available. And I'd say like back in like 2017-ish, a lot of legacy media really started to kind of bounce back. Like for years, especially being at the Huffington Post early days, you had BuzzFeed, Business Insider, Mike.com, Vice, a lot of digital native media companies were really just surpassing a lot of the legacy media companies like the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And that kind of flipped. And it flipped in an interesting way, especially during the Trump era, where people really wanted to get more hard news they were willing to pay for it. Information became very critical for people to just better understand what was going on around them. And, you know, the chatter around BuzzFeed and HuffPost and, you know, Mike and Vice, like effectively dethroning legacy media flipped where now legacy media really started to become the powerhouse and were really kind of attracting the most audience and the most dollars. But for me, what was interesting was that while our business was growing, when you would talk to the readers or I guess more aptly so the customers and you would ask them like why, why they subscribe, the response was always, well, you know, of course I subscribe to the post or the times and it's because I'm doing my part or, you know, it was just a very like altruistic supportive type mindset when it came to a business that we felt was a consumer business, right? When you think of Spotify or Netflix, you don't feel like you're doing your part to <laughs> pay them monthly. You feel like you need them, right? Like the convenience is critical and the value that you get out of the product is critical. And that was something that I really wanted to try to prove for with news. And what was happening on blockchain was very fascinating because this notion of information being permanent on chain, being able to see the provenance of where information started from being able to leverage that to better understand fact checking or deep fakes or you know the ability to manage ownership was kind of an unlock that we never really had as an industry and especially as a mindset. So that's really what got me to jump in to this was trying to think about better ways to expose the value of the investment of journalism and the integrity and value behind journalism and how to show that you know a Washington Post article that spent three and a half years trying to expose a piece of information that's critical for society is worth more than, you know, a BuzzFeed rubber band balloon popping video, <laughs> even though the business models treated both the same. So like that was the main reason. And even though my time was somewhat short at Poet, like a year, year and a half, that's when I really realized the big opportunity. And, you know, it's also the reason why I say like I'm where I am today and where I have, you know, a particular focus and a area that I, you know, I'm very interested in investing in is is because of that exposure and really kind of like sparking curiosity and doing poet back then. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I love that story. And I actually have a similar story of how I got into crypto, but more from the other end. So from like the content creator side, than from like the corporate structure side, having like been a, a travel blogger for a few years before this, and experience the pains of, you know, trying to monetize a blog and an Instagram account and all of this stuff in web two, it's very difficult and thinking, you know, there, there's got to be a better way to do this and a fairer way to content creators to actually reward them for the effort that they put in. That was like the, my initial into Web3 as well. So super cool. Okay, so you're at TCG now. Tell people a little bit more about what you do there, like the types of companies or projects that you're investing in and what you look for when, when you know, companies approach you. TCG is about a decade plus year old firm founded by Peter Chernin, former CEO of Fox and global president and CEO of News Corp. So we invest only in consumer businesses and there's a you know vast horizon of opportunities across that but it was kind of this ethos of really believing that direct to consumer everything was the future and the platforms and founders and communities and companies that were going to be built that really focused on better bridging the connection between creators and producers and you know consumers and customers readers was going to be important so if you look at the portfolio of TCG all of the companies that we've invested in over the past decade kind of fit that, right? And they run the gamut from Barstool to Hodinkee to Crunchyroll, OpenSea, The Athletic, and so forth. I'd say like six, seven months ago, I've known the TCG team for quite some time, uh, especially being in media, right? The work that they've done around identifying communities, scaling operations of these companies has been just phenomenal for me as an observer of TCG. And at that moment, I was really kind of seeing an opportunity happening in the crypto space. This kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier back with Poet in 2018. If you were building in crypto back then, it was very hard to get consumer attention outside of people who were already kind of interested and deep within crypto. And founders in the space really were only focusing on that audience, right? Like you were building for the people who already had wallets, who you know already had a deep understanding of crypto. And that was really the area that both sides played in. And what I was seeing kind of over the past year of investing on my own and writing in this space was that that kind of started to evolve, right? Consumers by way of NFTs and Dapper and, you know, all of these kind of emerging interest groups really started to open up the consumer pool that people that were interested in sports or, or fashion or entertainment were now seeing opportunities in Web3 through platforms that they were engaging with that were making it a bit more attractive for them to participate. But on the founder side as well, there was a major indicator. Founders were like asking me questions and engaging me on things outside of crypto. It was, you know, how do we build a distribution strategy? How do we build a brand? How do we become the next Barstool, right? Or Crunchyroll? And that to me was fascinating because there's a lot of capital in this space. There's a lot of smart investors in this space, but it seemed like that was a that was a very untapped opportunity that with all the capital and with all the smart you know, investor pool, that this notion of really understanding how to scale and operate companies and, and leverage content and media in order to build that wasn't something that any firm was really kind of bringing to the table in a, in a very serious way to founders. So met up with the TCG team about like six-ish, seven-ish months ago, and we both had the same idea, right? The idea was... One, we really believe that, you know, crypto or blockchain is, you know, the biggest opportunity in consumer over the next decade, that Web2 has been highly beneficial for convenience, 
some participation, but a lot of passive consumption. And crypto's unlock is really active active consumption that, you know, consumers now can engage in 24-7 type environments and markets. The notion of digital ownership on the internet for the first time ever is just massive. And there are going to be a lot of amazing companies to build around those unlocks and around that ethos. And we as a firm, we all have operational background. We really understand media. We build brands. And really kind of bringing that to the crypto space, especially in the early stage, was something that we really wanted to do. We focus on the crypto side. I mean, we've done we've done three investments prior prior to me being here: uh, Dapper Labs, OpenSea, and most recently we led the A round of uh, Zed Run, which is the virtual horse racing platform, which is just phenomenal, phenomenal company. We're focusing now, kind of earlier stage, on this intersection between consumer and crypto. Like we believe that now is the opportunity for on ramping the next, you know, 20, 50, 100 million users into crypto. To do that, you need to deeply understand, you know, distribution mechanisms and how best to reach them. It's not about just building for the 10 million MetaMask holders or users, but more so like what companies are going to be built that are that are very inviting and welcoming for this next generation of crypto consumers to come in. And that's where we're focused. So we kind of took a broad approach, but you know, it's something it's something that I've dubbed Web 2.5, like, you know, mainly effectively an on-ramp that's going to be able to shepherd individuals in based on interest and things that they hold dear and feel are valuable today. That's going to unlock and showcase what's happening in Web3. You said a ton of good stuff there. There's several points I want to break down a little bit more for our audience. The first one is going back to just, you know, what you're working on at TCG versus what TCG has been working on and investing in for the last 10 years. When you think about the Web2 companies that TCG has invested in versus the Web3 companies that you're thinking about now, what are some of the major differences between the things that you look for in the Web2 companies you invest in versus Web3 companies? The truth is that the value that we're bringing to the blockchain space I keep using blockchain and crypto interchangeably, but but, <laughs> but the reason why I feel there's a ton of value and opportunity is that the heritage of TCG is the value. It's amazing how many companies that I'll speak to in the crypto space that, you know, when we talk about what we're doing, you know, in crypto and ideas in crypto, they point to all of the brands that we've worked with in Web2 and say, we want to be that, right? Like, we want to be that either from like a business model or IP relationship or distribution relationship. But there are so many synergies between both. And that was kind of why we decided to approach it at this time and do it early stage is that that mindset of, Building a brand for the masses is in a lot of crypto founders' heads now and platform founders' heads now, and that's something that we wanted to bring to the table. So the heritage is actually the value, and there's really no detour from that. I think like it's very important that those things are hyper-connected because I think that is the value proposition and the proof of value has been in the 10 years of work that's been done here. What I'd say a big difference is that we're doing now is, you know, TCG, I'd say over the past like five, six years has done a lot of growth stage investing. And you could look at kind of, you know, the previous companies, but, you know, really investing at later stage, being very participatory and helping them scale and grow. And while we'll do that in the crypto space, we are looking to approach things a bit earlier now. So going into, you know, pre-seed, seed, series A type investing, knowing knowing how the crypto cycles are and how the fundraise cycles are and where we feel we'd bring most value in the life cycle of these companies. 
in the crypto space, we believe that it's early. So I'd say a big differentiation for, for what we're doing now is that we are leaning in way earlier in this space, which again, I think is partially like the opportunity that we see and the value that we think we could bring to founders. Also, the way these crypto companies are financed and the opportunities with tokens and and opening up to community is just very different, right? So I think the strategy needs to be different. We are also like focused on building content reputation identity around our crypto presence too. So, you know, we write a lot, you know, we're recruiting people to focus solely on this space. We just hired Gabby Goldberg and, you know, we have this awesome person, Jonathan Moore, who works on the team as well. So it is a very focused area. And I think that that is also important for crypto and a decision we made that if we're going to do this and focus on this, we want to have 100% attention because we believe so much in that space. Yeah, for sure. And and now as we're sitting in sort of this like web 2.5 space with where we are, you know, know, and shifting the creator economy and what that looks like, what do you see as some of the biggest needs that you would love to see built out right now? Like what sorts of projects would you love to see and you think like would be the most impactful for us to have today? Yeah, so I'd say like take a step back from a macro view and like this may be a shitty analogy, but I like it (laughs) to like very overgeneralize. I feel like if building a company is 10 steps, many crypto companies really skipped step one through five and went right to five to 10 because the audience and user base are already experts, right? They have wallets, they already participate on other platforms. They might've purchased NFTs or tokens or, you know, leverage mirror or other sorts of platforms that are crypto native. And that's where a lot of the attention has gone. And now, you know, that crypto is, you know, kind of bubbling up and becoming a lot more interesting to the general public. And we're branding things as Web3. And there's such an obvious evolution of where we're going across all platforms as it kind of moves into this space. There's this need to really go back and figure out what steps one through five are, right? Because if we're looking for an audience that isn't already crypto native or already doesn't deeply understand it, then, you know, how how are those individuals going to better understand this with confidence in order to get in and start to participate? So that to me is a massive opportunity. That's in education, that's in content, but it's really kind of focused on trying to remove the frustrations of really getting into crypto. And I think it's not science and it's not necessarily like, true what i'm going to say but it's a belief that i have as well is you know crypto crypto onboarding is frustrating right it's like you as an individual may try to get the information that you need if, if you've never participated in this space before and right now there's not a lot of content if there is content it's not really being written for you right as someone new you know and it's very kind of difficult to find what you need when you need it through a lot of the traditional mechanisms right like google and 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 i mean twitter is like crypto heaven, but like Google and like all these other places. And then on the flip side, when you can't get those questions answered, it's really hard to ask someone like you kind of feel foolish, (laughs) if like asking questions. So I think people just get frustrated and give up. And I want to find companies that are removing that friction, building that confidence for people that are going to be able to like get the information they need and the confidence they need in order to get within this space. So a massive opportunity for me, I believe, is education, onboarding, and being able to lean in on companies that are deeply invested and, you know, see the value in building in that space. 
I said this earlier, but 24-7 markets for me is just massive. Like we saw it with Coinbase where the nine to five trading hours were lifted. And, you know, instead of having to trade on the stock markets open and close, you now have 24-7 markets. And Zed Run is a great example of that in another industry, which is horse racing, right? Instead of like one, it's very difficult to buy a physical horse. Many people will never have the opportunity to do that. Two, you know, you could simulcast horse racing, but it's really built around certain events and you have to go there in person. And now all of a sudden you have a sport that seemed very hard to engage with for the average consumer to now something that anyone could participate in. Anyone could purchase a horse. There's daily races. There's the ability, if you're an owner, to be able to train and breed and earn upside. So I think that 24-7 market theme is massive, and I think it's going to kind of move throughout. Now, there's a there's a debate to be had whether or not that's good or bad, I think, for society, but I think it's happening, and I think crypto unlocks that. The other one, I mean, like the whole digital ownership thing, which may sound like such a obvious and generic answer, but I still feel it's so underappreciated and such a monumental shift on the internet. You know, for 25 years, we've assumed that anything on the internet could be easily replicated and used after, you know, a second of being published. And we built businesses around that, right? The advertising business was basically, you know, built to accommodate that, knowing that you want to be able to attract eyeballs immediately because your content is going to be used elsewhere. So you want to be able to drive revenue or subscriptions were really built around that. It was really built around this idea that content could be replicated, misused, so forth. And, you know, you need to build models in order to drive the best value out of your original work. And now all of a sudden ownership like changes that. And, you know, we are seeing a lot of native companies being built and platforms like OpenSea and, you know, the NFT boom starting with JPEGs, which is kind of natively built around the opportunity of digital ownership. But every single industry, you know, on the internet is going to have to like sit down and rethink what that means for them and what the opportunity is for them and how they should rethink the last 25 years of strategy to take advantage of what digital ownership really brings to to their industry or their business. So it's really a monumental shift, you know, a revolutionary shift. And when we talk about Web3, I don't think it's hyperbolic at all when we talk about what it's really going to bring. I think all of these things are new. I think like the consumer experiences are completely new. It's an absolute unlock. I think existing businesses that were built around a truth notion that nothing could be permanent or owned digitally on the internet is now completely shifting as well. And, you know, we're just going to keep kind of moving in that direction. And, you know, it's going to be, it's just going to be a massive, massive opportunity for builders and creators, investors, consumers. And, you know, it's very, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen because I think it's just going to change everything. I would like to hear your best guess though, as to what content creation is going to look like in the web three world. When I think about content creation in the web two world, I guess like the three main problems that I think of are one with owning your content and with owning your content also comes owning your data that you generate from the content that you put out. And then the second one is monetizing your content. So obviously content creators, you know, 
they need to be able to monetize their content in order to keep producing content, not be a starving artist. And then the third one that I don't think we've really touched on yet is connecting with your fan base or your consumers. And I think that part is a little fragmented in the Web2 world as well. So I'd love to hear your take on where you think, you know, maybe in five years or however, however long you think it's going to take to build this out, how those three things, those three elements of being a content creator is going to change and how that's going to look for content creators in like five years. One thing is I think there's a lot of focus of NFTs as a product right now, and especially for those that aren't deeply involved in crypto, they think of NFTs as a, you know, $300,000 crypto punk, you know, they're not thinking of NFTs in the way that I think are going to be the next five years, which is the process, right? It's not really just about selling a digital JPEG online and trading it or art per se, but it's about asking the question, like how that's possible today. And that's really taking into account that this is a process that I think moves across all creative flows. So I believe that all digital content will be an NFT. Again, from a product point of view, I don't think that means every piece of digital content needs to be sold or needs like secondary royalties or anything tied around that. But I think, you know, this idea, and this goes back to, it's not something new coming out of my mouth. I've been talking about it since Poet is like, I feel like the benefit of having all IP or content on chain is a benefit. It's a net benefit from how we think about licensing. It's a net benefit to how we see provenance. And I believe that every piece of digital content will 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 be an NFT. So one big thing is NFTs as process through creator tools, being able to stamp on chain and building better kind of UI and products on top of that for all the different things that are going to become available in order to do that. I think both Web3 is evolutionary and revolutionary. Revolutionary in the sense that I like to think of NFTs as a completely new business model for creators. And it should be thought that way, right? Like there's advertising, there's subscriptions, and there's NFTs. Like I'm actually baffled that more traditional media companies or creator companies or platforms haven't started instituting the NFT business model because it is like something completely different, but an evolution and value add onto whatever existing models currently exist, whether that's advertising or subscriptions or events or or other. So I think NFTs are a revolutionary business model on the internet, which has been very difficult for us to unlock over the past 25 years and has been something that has shown that users are interested in it. There's arguments that it could draw better retention, keep people more tightly involved, give give consumers more value outside of just the content itself, which is often the subscription play. You know, how can you give added benefits by way of NFTs because it's owned by this single person? So that's another kind of big opportunity there. But I think it's evolutionary too, because I think like for creators, right? And this is something I've always believed in and said too, like the best revenue strategy for any creator is diversification, you never really want to be at the whim of a single business model. There may be one that works better and you choose to use it or you choose to hedge on it more than you know, you're hedging on another one. But various business models on the internet are great and they all serve different purposes. And I think all should be levers for creators to pull. So if you, you know, have a subscription model, you should think about what advertising could look like, right? There's like taboo 
thinking around advertising because of programmatic, right? And, you know, because of what's happening around data. But again, those are just different ways that people are executing advertising, right? But there's amazing ways to work with brands and think about how to drive dollars which exist that are looking to be spent in order to help fund your work. So the revolutionary component is I believe that Web3 is completely new and provides something entirely new from a business model standpoint for these creators, evolutionary in that I don't think it necessarily has to be binary where it's replacing, you know, advertising subscriptions or other means. I think having like a war chest of of different ways to drive revenue is is incredibly important. And and like what's really cool and what we'll see more of is that I think Web3 is inviting a lot of new creators, you know, enabling consumers to be creators with what we're seeing with social tokens and, you know, with with like NFTs and, you know, all of these different means are kind of different ways to think about bringing people together, working together, organizing together by way of DAOs. Like all of this is kind of being experimented today, seeing what works, what doesn't, how it starts to expand. And all of these things are here to stay. Like, like I would make a massive bet that in five years, NFTs have evolved significantly and, you know, are just like standard, like ways that we think about creating and consuming. Same with tokens and, you know, same, same with DAOs. Like I, like, like, I don't think this is a blip. I think these are, these are actually here to stay and will be constructed and built upon and are somewhat foundational in this next era of creators. So. Speaking of DAOs, you have a DAO that you founded or that you're a, an active participant in, and that's Dark Star DAO. What is Dark Star DAO? I've always enjoyed writing about kind of media and tech and business futures for a while. Like I've always enjoyed kind of trying to force myself to think outside the lines as to kind of where we're going as an industry and as it relates to creators or consumers, but mainly in media. And I did that on Medium for a long time. And then I started writing about eight, nine months ago. And full disclosure, I'm an I'm a personal investor in Mirror and absolutely love the platform. And, you know, I was able to start to use it and test it early. And 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 what I love about Mirror, again, like when you talk about how this notion of media always felt evolutionary, there's so many new things that you can do within the CMS that are just like outside of just creating content, like splits and crowdfunding and donations and things of that nature. So I was just very, very excited to use it. Started writing myself and then found that there were you know, a lot of friends and colleagues that were writing in a similar vein, right? Where I was really starting to think about how crypto is becoming kind of this this major interesting kind of business point and, and focal point for the mass community. There were other people writing on that as well. And the idea of kind of Dark Star DAO was there is an audience, and it's not easy to do, but I feel like we've done a pretty as good of a job as we could doing it. But we really wanted to kind of reach two audiences at the same time using the same words. <laughs> so one audience is like people who are building in crypto and have a deep understanding of crypto, but want to understand how people outside think, like what's happening outside of crypto and media or what's happened historically. Like what could we learn from, you know, the Huffington Post successes or failures that could help us think better about how we're building our company or looking to attract audience. And the other side is trying to reach people outside of crypto that may not be interested or may be frustrated by it or may feel that a lot of the 
content that's being created doesn't necessarily speak to them, but want to know more about how it could impact them. So, you know, someone who works at a media company who wants to think about how they could leverage crypto. And on the other side, someone in crypto that wants to think about how they could start working with media companies. So that's kind of like the broad dynamic of Darkstar DAO. We have about six people writing within it. We're looking to expand that. Mirror is releasing new tools that are really going to allow us to like further evolve that. And we're looking to bring in, you know, a lot of like diverse thinkers and voices to be writing within there. But again, like we're at a, you know, monumental moment in like this technology evolution and crypto is a massive reason for that. And we want to both promote the opportunities and ideas and thinking, but also put a lens on it too, which at first we're like, how is this going to be received? Because, you know, the crypto community is very tribal in a beautiful way. We've like written a couple articles like challenging crypto gaming and what that really means. And most recently we wrote an article that said Web3 communities are the McMansions of the internet. And if you read it, it's definitely positive and moves us towards what needs to be done in order to have these communities be longstanding and successful. But it is kind of taking a constructive lens and putting it on a lot of the excitement that's happening in this space so that we could kind of get ahead of things and learn from our past and think through it. So it's really kind of working through that. I think it'll continue to grow. You know, the the people that write within it, and I strongly encourage, like, come from all walks of life and, you know, that'll, that'll continue to expand. But it's been it's been an amazing experience and, you know, there's there's no shortage of ideas and things we could write on. What I would say is like, and this maybe gives credit to like why newsrooms <laughs> and and like for people who don't deeply understand media companies is that you know being able to work and write and create with people is amazing right it's amazing when it comes to like ideas and evolving ideas it's amazing when it comes to like being efficient and writing and saying is this good is this not can you edit can you help and darkstar dao is really that like we spend time fleshing through ideas we all edit it we all chime in you know it's very much collaborative and it's funny right because maybe maybe media daos do in fact become very similar to newsrooms but instead of a newsroom being creators within a brand, right? It's now creators building the brand and working together. So it's kind of like a bundle on bundle rebundle type approach. Yeah, I think it's super fascinating. From like a process standpoint, how does it work with people proposing topics? Is it any of the six members in the DAO can propose a topic anytime and then they're the person that spins up the first draft or how does collaborating on a single article work with a group of people? Yeah, I mean, it's really about who has an idea. We've all gotten busy, which is why we have to expand the DAO. If you look early Darkstar, I think like the first article was like myself and Brian Flynn and Patrick Rivera. And then, you know, Jonathan Glick and Matt Stevenson and Tal Schachter and Jack Butcher now does visuals for some of the articles that we uh, mint as mint as mirror editions. It's really about the spark of an idea. So earlier on, like we were doing like one every two weeks. Now it's slowed down a bit. And I don't think it's for lack of content. I just think we're just figuring out a flow and a lot of work goes into these articles and ideas go into these articles. So making sure that every article that we put out is actually valuable and they're not just publishing for the sake of publishing, but it's really sparked from an idea, right? Like we all tweet a lot, some of it nonsense, I'm sure, but there's a lot of discourse, especially on Twitter around what's happening in the Web3 space. And one of, you know, one of us will be inspired by what we see and we'll just decide like, okay, like this is something we want to write. And ideally you want to get someone else who's excited about it too, or else you feel like you're writing on your own. But for the like nine out of 10 times, 
there's excitement and someone will throw down the first draft. Like you'll throw some ideas in there. Someone else will help partner and write through those ideas. Sometimes more people will participate than others, but everyone gets a look, everyone gets a byline. You know, we're very much all doing it together, but it really is kind of that spark of idea. And what I would say like that I find amazing when it comes to writing is it's a lot of work and a lot of effort, but usually it's done in like two days, right? It's like you spend so much time thinking of the idea or like trying to get together or putting the first words down, which is like what every, what every great writer will tell you is just start writing. And then, you know, things come out of that. But once the idea is there and once we start going, it's quick, we do them in like 24 hours. And I think that's a testament to like the people and also the quantity of people and the ability to move hyper-efficiently. Have you ever run into a situation where somebody has an idea and maybe a hot take on a topic and other members of the DAO disagree? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I say for sure because I think there's different angles that we take. Like if you read a Dark Star article, we, we take every side, right? Like in the end, they usually end with posing a question to how, you know, we should handle or think about the situation that we're putting forward, whether that's Web3 communities or DAOs as cities or, you know, any of the topics that we've really hit on. So the challenge of ideas is mainly, mainly acts as not, not the stoppage of an article being created, but more so how we'll take that article and be able to incorporate those ideas and those different angles. I mean, this probably just happens when a lot of people write together, but for the most part, a lot of us agree. We have like similar similar mindsets and similar things that we think are exciting and you know, areas that we want to explore. But again, like if you look at the structure and form of the articles, you know, we're not looking to effectively make absolute statements. We are really trying to put ideas out there, explore them, take different angles, and then at the end, you know, really give the reader as much information as they could get to help drive better better decisions or thinking of their own and that's kind of always been always been the mindset right it's always kind of been how do we put as much information out there how do we explore how do we challenge ourselves which i think a lot of great writers should do and then you know kind of leave it leave it to the audience to decide what they want to do with it yeah for sure uh, we got a question from twitter that's sort of related to this Crypto Vizzo wants to know what's been the recurring themes of businesses, ventures best suited to be DAOs and what have you seen succeed or not succeed as a DAO? It's so early. I mean, if you talk to Coop, like he'll have a way better answer because he's probably, he's just been way deeper, way deeper in this and Flynn and, you know, others. But I'd say what I love most about the DAO structures is that, you know, you are really unlocking the potential of individuals at the onset of what you're creating or like the ideation phase. Like if you look at traditional structures, like look at a traditional, like any business structure, decisions are made at the C-level, right? There's like an assumption that that's where, you know, the brightest people are, or, you know, that's where the evaluation will take place. So you may have thousands of people in your company, but it's really hard to like bubble up those ideas or give them a voice or give them an environment to be able to weigh in. And I think that that's at the disadvantage of large companies. And DAOs, what's most fascinating for me is that it's really up to you how much you want to participate, what you want to be a part of, how you want to deeply engage or quite literally buy in. But it's really kind of taking taking that collective of a bottoms-up type approach. So when you think about businesses, traditionally, many are top-down, especially at like a brand level. 
you know, DAOs are really looking at the approach of bottom up, like you're able to leverage crypto financials to like, you know, crowdfund or get enough money to like build this idea. And then you're kind of building it all together and rising it up to the heights that you could take it. So that to me, I think is like the most interesting thing. Like you are finding people and unlocking people at the earliest stages that have ideas that are hyper creative or bring value in a bunch of different veins and they're not and they're not limited to their participation in fact they're they're strongly encouraged to continue to participate what i think is interesting with DAOs is and what i think we'll see is like you know how much how much leadership is actually needed especially for ones that are driving you know financial decisioning or other sorts of like group decisioning i think what we've seen in DAOs so far is that they're while while there are equal representatives, they're they're like becomes this presumed leader or leaders like you know one or one to two or three people that really help drive it. Like they'll drive it publicly. You know they'll spend the most time in the discords or they'll be the ones encouraging people to vote on Slingshot and do all of these things. I think we're seeing an evolution of DAO in real time and different areas where it's becoming interesting. I love the idea of media DAOs. I think we're like in the earliest stages of that. But I do think like the biggest unlock, and I think we'll see more and more and more DAOs across a lot of a lot of different industry verticals, is that notion of really unlocking ideas and participation from people at the earlier onset and not building a hierarchy that's effectively going to like squash that or limit that. The other is, you know, of course, of course, the financial upside is just, you know, amazing to think that creators, contributors, you know, earliest believers that are spending time helping build the product, helping build the idea, don't just benefit socially or from an operational standpoint, but could also benefit financially. I mean, you, you, you literally build an environment where, you know, the subscriber is a shareholder, right? Which doesn't really exist unless you purposely make that. You may invest in Facebook or you may use Facebook or one or the other, but they're not tied together. And same with the Washington Post, same with the New York Times or anything like that. And I like, I like this idea where, you know, you are incentivized to not just be successful yourself, but also make the platform successful. I think Mirror is a great example of that, right? It's like if you are if you're a writer on Substack, you know, you're mostly kind of focused on you yourself being successful. You care about the other writers, but the main focus is you yourself growing as a business. When you look at a mirror, you know, you are thinking about yourself as a business, but you also want the platform to succeed as well because, you know, eventually hopefully you'll have break tokens or or something like that. So it's really kind of changes the dynamic, but it is this kind of collective. It's like the business of the collective and the inspiration of the collective is really where DAOs and Web3 play. To wrap us up, I like to end every podcast episode with a segment called Explain Your Tweet. So I pulled some tweets that you you have that are cryptic or interesting or funny or whatever, and I'm going to give you a chance to explain them. We'll see how many we, we get through. But the first one I've got is from October 11th, 2021. You said, NFTs are the people's APIs. <laughs> yeah. Explain. I mean, one, uh, so like one theme that I really love about NFTs, especially in the IP space, is this notion of building economics around compounding. So, you know, we've seen that with Board Ape Yacht Club has done it probably arguably the most beautifully and the most successfully where anyone who owns a Board Ape has the commercial rights and you have amazing characters being built out of that, like Jenkins the Valet, who then signs to CAA. And, you know, there's kind of this, this kind of creative function where people are putting, like Dom from Loot is a massive example too, where people are putting you know, ideas out there and foundational structures out there, they 
economically benefit from others building on top of it and so on and so forth. And I think like it's going to be very hard for traditional IP or companies to edge into that. But I think we're seeing an emergence of new creators and IPs emerging into that too. But the other thing is that APIs are very like expensive to maintain in central environments. So I think while many companies would have like gladly allowed more and more and more people to leverage their APIs and build on top of it, it just becomes a construct that economically is difficult and operationally is difficult. And NFTs has built an interesting thing. I mean, it's not quite like literally an API, but like when you put something out there and if people are using it and leveraging it, you know, getting economic rewards for that allows you to continue to want to focus and support that. So it's kind of building a new mechanism for how we think about compounding infrastructure. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. All right. Let's squeeze in one more. This one's from just earlier today, October 13th. You said subscription businesses should be looking at crypto as the roadmap for customer retention. Yeah, that'll be easy for me to explain because I've probably tweeted that a, a lot of times in a bunch of different in a bunch of different words. I have long believed that, you know, subscriptions, I think like Netflix and Spotify, even though there's a lot of benefits that come with them are somewhat outliers in this logic, because I do believe that many customers want convenience and a subscription is valuable for that convenience. So you get to have as much music in your pocket and you could sync it offline and all of these benefits are are very valuable as a subscriber. But I think in other subscription type businesses, especially in content, you know, especially like digital content, there needs to be better benefits and more acute focus on subscriber value. Like what do they get? Right. And for the most part, that's really been an exchange of content. Like you subscribe, you get content, but the relationship becomes very, very weak, right? Because if you stop creating content, do they unsubscribe? If they don't like the content, do they unsubscribe? And I, I like the notion of what crypto is doing from a social token perspective, from an NFT perspective, where it's really about when you purchase or when you, you know, like quite literally sign a contract into this relationship, the creators are giving you more, right? They're dropping, they're dropping more value literally on you, or, you know, you may get access early to certain events, or you may get access to a community or all of these other things. So I believe that a lot of the focus for subscription type businesses, there's equal focus on acquisition and retention, but the retention opportunity is big. And I think what's happening in crypto and the products that are being built in crypto and technologies that are happening in Web3 crypto are, are amazing like inspiration for how we should think about customer retention across businesses. Got it. Makes sense. All right. A real quick last thing, Jared, tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you. And then also if anybody's looking for funding from TCG, how do they reach out to you about that? If anybody's looking to join Darkstar DAO, how do they reach out to you about that? I have my DMs open. So Twitter is best. So at Jared Dicker on Twitter would be the best way to get in touch with me. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Jared, for taking the time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This wraps up season one of the Unstoppable Podcast with episode 100. Thanks again, Jared, for being number 100. And we will be back again soon. Follow us on Twitter at Unstoppable Web to keep up with any updates there. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.